All right, we are going to talk about the resurrection today. I worked really hard on that sermon title, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, we as Christians obviously celebrate the uh, resurrection more than just on uh, Resurrection Sunday. It is something that we uh, celebrate every day because the resurrection really is at the very heart of Christianity. As much as uh, your heart helps your body and if your heart stops, your body dies, uh, without the resurrection, there really is no Christianity. Uh, there are some who try and say, well, I am a Christian even though I don't really believe in the resurrection. It just doesn't work that way. Uh, Paul is very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 about this. He says in verse 14, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is futile. In other words, I should get a different job. And your faith is empty. In other words, you should be mowing your lawn or thatching your lawn, as some people are doing. I mean, that, that Christianity really without the resurrection is, is useless. Uh, that we have no faith, that there is no Christianity without the resurrection. And then in verse 15, he says, Also, we are found to be false witnesses about God, because we have testified against God that He raised Christ from the dead. In other words, not only is our faith useless, but we have just said that God has done something that he really didn't do, and we basically are lying about God, and that's, that's pretty bad. And then verse 17, he says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is useless, you are still in your sins. Uh, if Christ just died and remained in the tomb, and he never rose from the grave, then how do we know if it worked, what he did on the cross? Because anybody could go around, I mean, I could go around saying, I'm going to forgive all your sins, and I'm God, and then I get crucified, and it's like, it's like, well, how do we know if that's true or not? I mean, the resurrection really is the vindication of Christ that what He said is true. That He really did die for your sins, and He really is the way to the Father, and it is through Him that you have true life. I mean, without the resurrection, there is no Christianity, there is no forgiveness of sins. And then in verse 19, he says, we should be pitied more than anyone. And sometimes you will get people who will say, you know, if I found out Christianity was not true and the resurrection didn't happen, I am still glad that I lived as a Christian because it's a good way of life. That's not what Paul is saying here. <laughs> He's saying, we should be pitied more than anyone. If this is not true, we are ridiculous. That's what he's saying. And so it really comes down to this, this resurrection. That's what Paul is saying. That the resurrection is the heart and the key of Christianity. And we ought to be thankful because Jesus has given us faith to believe, but He's also given us evidence to know that our faith is not just like the Easter bunny and the Santa Claus. That it's actually founded on factual, historical Evidence. In uh, John chapter 20, uh, Jesus, after he is resurrected, appears to the disciples. Thomas, one of the disciples, is not there. And says this, the other disciples told him, that's Thomas, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, unless I see the wounds from the nails in his hands and put my finger into the wounds from the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe it. The disciples say to Thomas, He's risen. He says, ha, no, that doesn't happen, right? He did not believe. 
And it's important to note here that whether Thomas believed or not, Jesus was still alive. Jesus was still resurrected. And whether you are here and you don't believe the resurrection, or you're here and you do believe the resurrection, it doesn't change the fact that He has risen and He's very much alive. And whether you believe in Jesus or don't believe in Jesus, one day every single person who has ever lived will stand before Jesus. But thankfully, Jesus is a good guy. He's awesome and He's gracious and merciful and provides evidence for Thomas. And so it says, eight days later, the disciples were again together in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here and examine my hands. Extend your hand and put it into my side. Do not continue in your unbelief, but believe. And Thomas replied to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus is gracious. Jesus did not have to provide any evidence whatsoever to Thomas. He didn't. He is God. He is the master of the universe. He doesn't have to prove anything to any of us. But again, he is gracious and merciful and does. To Thomas, he says, see, here's the evidence, believe. And thankfully, Jesus for us has given us plenty of evidence that we might believe in the resurrection. So we don't just have to say my faith is based on nothing, that we can say it's based on just like Rome existed and just like Alexander the Great existed, Jesus died, and he rose again. There's been tons and tons of books written on evidence behind the resurrection. You can find lots of them. Uh, One of the more recent ones was written by uh, Dr. Michael Lacona, and he was a Christian who kind of doubted a lot of things in Christianity. He was kind of a doubter. He questioned a lot of things. And he did uh, all his doctoral work around... Uh, around the evidence of the resurrection. He looked at it as a historian, both looking at Christian and non-Christian early sources from the first, second century. He looks at it, and this is what he says. He says, we have historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. And when you subject that historical evidence to a strictly controlled historical method, that's the same kind of method we use for all other history, He says, the resurrection of Jesus is not only the best explanation, it is by far the best historical explanation for the known historical data. And he wrote like this huge 750-page book with 2,000 footnotes on it. It's awesome. He looks at it as this historian and says, look, to deny that, you have to basically deny all other ancient histories. It is that solved. In other words, when it comes to Christianity, we got the goods. Now, using some of the stuff from his book, we want to look at uh, a few myths behind the resurrection. Some things, if people don't want to believe it, this is, well, this is really what happened. Some people say, well, the disciples lied about the resurrection. In other words, they just kind of made it up. Uh, they came up with this grand story, and then they read it all Uh, wrote it all down, and then they basically pretended like they were living this lie of a story. Uh, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, 
that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom still uh, are still alive. In other words, if you want to check this out, if the story's true or not, talk to them. They're still alive. Though some have fallen asleep. Some, some were dead by this time. Then he appeared to James, who was Jesus' brother. Then to all the apostles. Last of all, to one uh, untimely born. This is Paul. He appeared also to me. So, Lots of people here claim to see the risen Lord, and the thing goes that all of these people basically lied about it. They kind of made this whole story up. And uh, really, there are uh, pretty much no scholars, Christian and non-scholars, who really hold this anymore, because the evidence just really says this is not what happened. There are too many things when you look at the life of the disciples and the story that just shows it's not made up. And one of the things is just the change in the disciples. You look at the disciples before the resurrection, Jesus was always saying to them things like, oh, you of little faith. You see, Jesus, when he's arrested, they all run away. We see Peter deny that he even knows Jesus. And after he is buried in the tomb, they lock the doors because they are totally freaked out about the Jews and the ruling authorities. And then... Resurrection happens, and these people, they just totally change. All of a sudden, they're courageous. All of a sudden, they're totally not afraid at all of the Jews. They're willing to die for their faith. And in the end, uh, all of these apostles did. Uh, Peter was uh, crucified upside down. Andrew was crucified. Bartholomew was tortured, then crucified. James was crucified. Philip flogged, then crucified. Simon crucified, Thaddeus killed by arrows, Matthew killed by the sword, the other James by the sword, Thomas through a spear thrust, and John was the only one who made it through a natural death, even though they tried to kill him at one point. And if, the thing is, if, if these guys had lied about this, I mean, surely one or two of these guys would have cracked, right? We're going to crucify you, tell the truth! I mean, as the old saying goes, liars make really bad martyrs, right? Uh, And then you add all these other people, like enemies of Jesus, these enemies made up stories about seeing, that doesn't make any sense. And then you got 500 people who say that they have seen Jesus. You mean you you have this like 600 people who make up this lie? I mean, it just, just doesn't make any sense. And that's why nobody really holds to this first argument anymore. Uh, we can look at also James and Jude. It's one thing for someone who is kind of pro-Jesus to make up a lie. But here we have James and Jude who are, were brothers of Jesus, uh, basically enemies of Jesus. They did not believe Jesus before the resurrection. I mean, imagine if your brother started walking around saying, I'm God. You'd be, yep, and I'm SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> All right? <laughs> You'd be just like, uh-huh. And that's the way they were. You read the Gospels, they're kind of laughing at Jesus, saying, who does this guy think he is? But then Jesus appears to James, and all of a sudden, he's completely changed. So much so that he becomes one of the leaders in the early church. He is the one who actually wrote the book of James. Uh, Jesus' other brother, Jude, wrote the book of Jude. And they begin with this, a servant of God and of Jesus. Enemies laughing at Jesus to 
uh, I'm a servant of Jesus. I believe in Jesus. And ultimately, these two died for their statement of seeing the risen Christ. James was beat and stoned by the Jews, and his brains dashed out with a fuller's club. Jude was crucified. These are people who did not even believe that Jesus was who he says he was pre-resurrection. Jesus appears to them, and they're just totally radically changed. And then we can, of course, look at Paul, another enemy of Jesus, uh, was killing Christians. His mission was to wipe Christianity out. The resurrected Jesus appears to him. He becomes a Christian. He's one of the most amazing Christian leaders who ever has lived and ultimately was killed by a sword under Emperor Nero. Now to say that all these guys just lied and made this up, I mean, just does not fit the evidence. I mean, liars make terrible martyrs. And so some people say, okay, is it, they really did believe that they saw the risen Lord, but maybe they were just kind of hallucinating or smoking something, or what? You know, they're just kind of delusional. Uh, again, this does not make any sense, because Jesus appeared to the apostles over 40 days. It might make sense that maybe one or two, because, you know, a lot of people, when they lose a loved one, actually will see them a few days later. That's quite common. And you might expect maybe the disciples, a few of them, saw Jesus around afterwards, and was like, oh, he's resurrected. But all 12 over a period of 40 days, and 500 people at once? That's so unlikely, it's pretty much impossible for this mass amount of people to be delusional. Uh, I like what Lee Strobel said. He said, if you were to call each one of the witnesses to a court of law to be cross-examined for just 15 minutes each, and you went around the clock without a break, it would take you from breakfast on Monday until dinner on Friday to hear them all. After listening to 129 straight hours of eyewitness testimony, who could possibly walk away unconvinced? I mean, imagine if you had a murder trial and there was 129 hours of straight testimony that we saw so-and-so kill so-and-so. I mean, he'd be done, right? Guilty. And this is the kind of eyewitness account we have behind the resurrection. And Paul even said, you can even ask these guys because many of them are still alive. Now one point needs to be made because often when you uh, talk about these things, people say, hey, wait a minute, you're using the Bible. You can't use the Bible to prove the resurrection because the writers of the Bible, they had an agenda, right? But the thing is, and any good historian, and uh, Michael Lacona talks about this, that any good historian knows that they basically have an agenda. That everybody who writes about history, anybody who writes about stuff in the past, usually has some sort of motive or some sort of agenda. I mean, why did Jewish people write about the Holocaust? It's because they want the message to get out there. They want to make sure it never happens again. Now, does that mean we can never use anything written by Jewish people because they wanted the message out there? Or why do African Americans write about slavery? Because they want to make sure that people know what happened to their people, right? It's kind of an agenda. It's kind of a motive. Does that mean that we can never use anything they've written? Why do women write about women's rights? I mean, anybody who writes history is writing because they saw it, they were there, they want the message out, and the Bible's no different. 
I mean, imagine if you, because uh, you know there are people who don't believe they actually, we landed on the moon, right? There's some people who don't believe that. Imagine if you were going to go, okay, I'll prove it to you. But the person said, oh, wait a second. You are not allowed to use any material from anyone who believes that they actually landed on the moon. So you can't use any of the accounts from the astronauts. You can't use anything from NASA. Anybody who believes that they landed on the moon, you can't use any of that source because it's all kind of biased, you know. You can't do that. The way you do history is you look at all of the ancient sources, and it's the same with the resurrection. And it just so happens to be that this book, when you look at manuscript evidence and all that kind of stuff, is, is more reliable than any other piece of ancient literature we have. That if you throw this book out, you've got to throw every other piece of ancient literature out. All right, so they didn't lie, didn't have hallucinations, or weren't delusional. Then some people say, well, okay, here's maybe what happened. Maybe Jesus never really died. Maybe he just kind of like passed out on the cross because of all the pain. They chucked him in the tomb. Three days later, he kind of came through. And the disciples were like, whoa, he resurrected. Maybe they didn't kind of have like medical terminology like we do today, right? Uh, anybody who talks about this doesn't understand crucifixion. Uh, Josephus said crucifixion was the worst form of death. It was so bad that uh, Roman citizens could not even be crucified. In fact, uh, one person was encouraging Roman citizens not to even think about crucifixion or ever mention crucifixion because it was so horrible. There were thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people crucified. And of all our historical accounts, there's only one person who ever uh, came off the cross alive that actually lived through it. And it's account of these three people who were crucified. There was this intervention, and immediately after they were crucified, they were brought down off the cross, and immediately they, these three people received the best medical care. And even though they received the best medical care, two of them died. Only one lived. Jesus, I mean, went to the cross, but you've got to remember, before he went to the cross, he was flogged. A lot of people didn't even live through a Roman flogging. This huge whip with bone and metal embedded on all these strands was laid across the back and it would rip your flesh apart. There's actually historical accounts of the whip coming down and grabbing onto a rib and just ripping a rib right out of the body as they're whipped. Some people did not even live through that. Jesus lives through that. Then he is nailed to a cross. He hangs on the cross for six hours. Nails after all this blood loss from this flogging. Then he dies. And to make sure he's dead, they take a spear and they thrust it right into Jesus. Fluid comes out. He's dead. You don't live through that. But even if there was like a one gazillion chance that he actually lived through that, they chucked him in a tomb for three days. He's not going to live for three days after all of that, right? And even if there's a one Google of a chance or whatever that he lived through that. When he came out of the tomb, Mary would not have gone, wow, she would have gone, you need a doctor, right? <laughs> he would not have been able to walk down the road to Emmaus if he was in that kind of condition. I mean, the chances of this are just, they're just, it's zero. Another one here, and uh, last one, 
And this is probably the most common one, at least in our area. In fact, uh, and that is this, that the entire story is a legend or myth that developed over time. I picked up a hitchhiker, I think it was last year, and we were talking about this, and he was like going on and on about, you know, the resurrection really is just one of many kind of pagan mythical stories that, you know, and, and, and the all of Christianity is just kind of a reinvention of an earlier pagan myth of Egyptian gods rising from the dead and being resurrected. And, and uh, you know, this is not held in the scholarly world. I mean, you see it on the Internet often. You even see stuff on TV the odd time. But there are really no scholars who, who ever see any sources of any pagan resurrection myth before Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. All of the sources post-date the resurrection. Meaning, Christians did not reinvent some pagan myth that all of the pagan myths, in fact, have been, uh, came from Christianity the truth of the real resurrection of Jesus. Uh, All these pagan myths are all post-resurrection, not pre-resurrection. And the idea of a legend is that maybe over time, Jesus died, and because he did a lot of miracles, that maybe over time people began to develop this legend that he actually rose from the grave, and then Christianity kind of was built out of this legend. Huge problems with that. I mean, for number, number one, Jesus rose from the grave, and immediately Christianity began to spread. There's no time for any kind of legend to develop. Immediately it began to spread. Christianity began to grow. No time for a legend. And if you were ever even to develop a legend, you would never, ever, ever have someone, the hero of the story, die on a cross. And this is something we don't get today in our culture. But in first century culture, the cross was the worst, most horrible, despicable thing ever. The Jews hated the cross. Uh, about 80 years before Jesus, 800 Pharisees were crucified by one of the leaders and all of their families slaughtered as these 800 Pharisees stood on the They hated the idea of crucifixion. You would never have your hero crucified. And to Greeks, it was despicable. I mean, if you wanted to create a story that would actually people would buy, you would never have a crucified Savior. In fact, one of the biggest stumbling blocks early Christians had in growing the faith was the idea that their king died on the cross. And you start adding stuff like the first people to see the empty tomb were women. Their testimony wasn't really even valid in courts. I mean, it is not written at all like a legend. In fact, there's no time for this to happen. C.S. Lewis said this, As a literary historian, I am perfectly convinced that whatever else the Gospels are, they are not legends. I have read a great deal of legend, and I am quite clear that they are not the same sort of thing. They are not artistic enough to be legends. From an imaginative point of view, they are clumsy. They don't work up to things properly. Most of the life of Jesus is totally unknown to us, as is the life of anyone else who lived at that time. No people building up a legend would allow that to be so. Uh, Not enough time. Began to grow. We have manuscripts that can trace us right back to uh, the first generation and not a legend. And so the best explanation, of course, is that Jesus rose from the dead. That even if you look at this as a historian, you take all the evidence, if you use history the same way you use histories for any other ancient stuff, you've got to realize Christianity's got the goods here. 
Michael Patton, he said this, alternatives to many well-established historical events have been offered, including the Holocaust, the landing on the moon, and the death of Elvis. However, in most cases, the alternatives go against the obvious. The simplest explanation is always the best. The simplest explanation to the data here is that Christ did rise from the grave. Those who deny the resurrection do not do so on the basis of the evidence, but because they have other presuppositions that won't allow them to believe. The evidence is simply too strong. In other words, if you reject the resurrection, you do not reject it based on historical evidence. You may reject it because you've never really looked at it. You're just kind of assuming it's not true because it's just kind of a weird story. You may reject it because you're just an atheist and you have no room for God or any kind of miracles and so you kind of put it aside. Uh, you may reject it because you haven't actually looked at it. You just kind of looked at one side of something on the Internet you read. There's a lot of bad stuff on the Internet. Even on TV and some of these documentaries, it's, it's stuff that's just wrong. Like every now and then you have these documentaries, we found the bones of Jesus. And these archaeologists haven't checked their stuff with any other archaeologists. They're not peer-reviewed. They haven't been checked with scholars. I mean, even this idea of like Krishna that he died on the cross between two people and rose again on the third day, it's just it's not even true. It's just this kind of story that's kind of passed around. Uh, I like what Gary Habermas said. He's probably one of the best and uh, most well-versed scholar when it comes to the resurrection. He says this, Skeptics must provide more than alternative theories to the resurrection. They must provide first-century evidence for those theories. And this point is really important. I can throw out a lot of theories about why we never landed on the moon. I can throw out a lot of theory, theories and conspiracies that the Holocaust never really happened. But you've got to provide evidence for those. You can say, ah, the resurrection didn't happen. Silly stuff. You've got to provide actual first century historical evidence for it. And in the end, and we can keep going on, in the end... This is true. Do you realize that? Jesus has risen from the dead. Now, can we be 100% sure? If you look at the evidence, we can never be 100% sure about anything. I mean, am I 100% sure that this roof is going to stay up for the rest of the service? Probably one in a trillion chance, sure. I mean, it's probably not going to fall down. I mean... Let's go. We're not going to run out of here because there's one in a trillion chance. We're going to stay in here because we go with the trillion, not the one, right? Am I 100% sure that a comet's not going to come and explode the Kootenays tomorrow? Maybe it's possible, but it's maybe one in a tr trillion chance. But do we leave the Kootenays and pack up all our stuff and run based on one chance in a trillion? All of life, we go, what's the best evidence? What's the best choice? And we make our decisions and it's no different with the resurrection. You could probably argue that maybe there's a one in trillion chance that it didn't happen. But are you really going to go with the one? Are you really going to bet eternity in hell based on the one? Are you really just going to say, I just live whatever I want because, you know, I just don't want to believe that because it's hard. It just doesn't you know, fit with me and I'm going to go with the one. It's like, that's kind of foolish. Because Jesus has risen from the grave, and we'll just end with this. 
It means that you really can be free. It does. Jesus says, I've come to set you free. It means you really can be forgiven. Some of you here are just weighed down by your past mistakes and mess-ups in life, and you keep beating yourself up because you just think you're such a horrible person. Jesus has risen from the dead, and He says, I'll forgive all of your sin, and I'll give you my righteousness. This means that we really can have a hope that is amazing of the new heavens and the new earth. And this means that we can walk around proud. You don't have to walk around ashamed. Do you follow Jesus? Do you walk around ashamed that, yeah, I believe in the Roman Empire. Do you know there's more historical evidence for the death and resurrection of Jesus than there is for Caesar Augustus? We don't walk around ashamed that I believe in an Alexander the Great. You don't need to walk around ashamed of Christianity. It is based in historical facts. Jesus has changed our hearts. He is amazing. He is good. He has 